a special edition of the Darden Admissions Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. On this episode of the podcast, we're excited to share another recording from our ongoing Faculty Spotlight series, a series we call Office Hours. This conversation features Luca Chan. Luca is a member of the marketing faculty here at the Darden School of Business. And in this wide-ranging conversation, we talk with Luca about his background, his passion and interest in both marketing as well as psychology, uh, his current research, what led him to Darden, and, and so much more. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here is our Office Hours conversation with Professor Luca Chan. Luca, I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for joining for this session. Thank you for uh, hosting this session. And I know that you're doing a lot of things for Darden. So, you know, I'm very grateful for everything you do. So thank you for hosting me this time. Well, it's great to have you here. Where I always like to begin these conversations is really to learn just a little bit more about you and and your story. So tell us, tell us a little bit more about you. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Well, a lot of complexity around that question. Uh, well, I would I will say, let's start with maybe from a professional point of view. Um, so, well, although my accent is very subtle, I would say, ironically speaking, uh, I'm from Italy originally. I grew up in uh, this little town called Cortina d'Ampezzo. It's a um, it's a little town in uh, in the um, in the Italian Alps, uh, very close to the border with Austria. Um, I grew up there. There are 6,000 people living there, <laughs> but the mountains are beautiful. Um, I'm a first-generation uh, college student, um, and um, and so basically I grew up in this little town, uh, and then I wanted to go to college, although no one actually knew exactly what college... I mean, we know what college was, but... Uh, um, I don't know why exactly I wanted to go to college. Maybe because in Italian we call it like university. So I always thought, oh my God, when I will go there, I will learn like the universe or something like that. <laughs> and so I I went to college there in Italy in a city called Trieste, uh, where I studied marketing and communication. And then um, at that time, back in the day, it was uh, basically a five years program where you had to do your bachelor and master together. And I really, um, I really loved, especially advertising. So it was cool. I thought I was going into advertising. Um, I was lucky enough that there was a um, international competition in advertising uh, for all people in schools, and um, uh, I won that competition uh, one year. And uh, I went to um, the Cannes, you know, that like the Cannes Mus- uh, Film Festival, immediately after there is like one of the biggest, if not the biggest uh, uh, advertising competition um, called the Cannes Lions of Advertising. And so I went there, it was a fantastic experience. And so there I thought, oh, you know what, I will stay in advertising. It was a really madman kind of uh, experience, you know, like champagne, uh, creativity, love it. But then I realized that it was not really uh, all like that. And towards the end of uh, my master, I took this class in social psychology and I really felt in love with it. I said, oh my God, what is this thing? Why is it so cool? And so I start, um, you know, I was very active in class just because I was very involved. And uh, one day, the, you know, after the exam, my professor talked with me and said, hey, I think, you know, you're, um, you really like this subject. You clearly have, um, you have some very good comments about it. Do you want to work with me to some extent? And I said, oh, I would love that. And so I started working with her and she really changed my life. Her name is um, Sarah Chervai. It was my very first advisor. And, uh, and, um, and so we started working together and then uh, she pushed me to, to teach. So I actually started teaching uh, social psychology uh, right off um, my master. And then I understood that I really needed to uh, to have a PhD to teach it. And uh, so I was doing some, you know, works in the middle of it, but, you know, like, um, and then, uh, so I started a PhD and uh, 
during my PhD was in psychology. And during my work in the PhD, I my dissertation was clearly between psychology and marketing. And there, my committee, being all psychologists, told me, okay, look, uh, uh, we give you the possibility to do, to explore whatever you want to do, but we have no idea about this marketing thing that you're putting inside. So you need to find an external advisor. And so at that time, I was uh, citing a lot of professor from uh, uh, Michigan, whose name is uh, Richard Bagosi. And so I wrote him an email saying, hello, my name is Luca. I uh, I cite a lot of your research. Would you like to help me, um, you know, um, or at, at least have a conversation? And he told me, oh, I, I like your research. Why well, you don't come here uh, to, the, to the University of Michigan for a few weeks? And then those few weeks became actually two years, and he became the external advisor of my um, dissertation. Now, I at that point, I did my dissertation as Italian style, so basically a book. And when I arrived here, after two years, I was visiting scholar at the University of Michigan. I really, working with this professor, I really understood two things. One, I wanted to be marketing. And two, um, the people uh, at the University of Michigan with a PhD marketing knew more about marketing than me, clearly. And so I sort of wanted to do a second PhD in marketing. And there uh, I talked with another person who changed my life, whose name is uh, Radna Krishna. And um, all these three people was really impactful for me, Sarah, uh, Richard, and Radna. And she said, okay, I will take you as a sort of a postdoc for three years. At the same time, I took classes uh, at the University of Michigan with the um, PhD students there in marketing. And so I became one of them and one of the cohort. And uh, so I was publishing. I was actually trying to publish. And thank God I was able to publish in order to be more, um, you know, in the um, in the U.S. standard, uh, the main idea of after a PhD is to get some publications so you can show um, what kind of research you're doing. Why in the European model, it's not true everywhere, but at least the school where I was it, and that's true mostly for uh, many of the schools in psychology in Europe, is you have to write a big dissertation book that is not an article. It's just like basically a book, but there's two different standards. And so in order to be um, uh, attractive to the U.S. job market, I had to publish some research in the top journals. So being in Michigan for other three years in this sort of, postdoc, second PhD, um, really helped me because I was able to publish and then take some classes with the PhD there. And so the experience of this postdoc was very transformational because after that, I was able to enter in the job market. And um, I was lucky enough that I had many job offers. And uh, the one that I liked the most was Darden. So I came at Darden and was love since then. It has been, been seven years at Darden. And one year ago, I got tenure. And uh, so that's it. <laughs> Very long answer, but yeah. When you ask, who are you? That's a, that's a great answer. Um, Lucas, so I want to go back a little bit in your story. So you originally started PhD in psychology. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was interesting to you about, about psychology? What, what really sparked for you in that social psychology class? Ah. Uh, that's a good question. I I was really fascinated to see, um, how, you know, maybe another way to answer this question is how can't you be fascinated by human mind, by the human mind, right? So what I really, uh, I really loved it was to see um, the social implications. So. In social psychology, at least, I mean, um, there are many types of psychology, of course, but the, the thing that I really love about social psychology is that was a, a sort of applied psychology in many sense, in the sense that you learn principles uh, that you can see have huge impact on everyday life, right? How groups' dynamics are formed, how people behave in organizations, how 
um, concept like persuasion, concept like uh, minorities and majorities, et cetera, et cetera. Like, so there are really things that you can see every day in practice and you study there. And the cool thing about social psychology is that they tend to use a very strict methodology. So uh, we run experiments and we have an hypothesis, we run experiments and the results are compared using statistics. So I always love philosophy, but somehow uh, in philosophy, one of the things that, you know, um, is a little bit difficult to, uh, for me at least, was difficult to, to reconcile is that maybe you feel a philosopher when it's really close to you, how you feel it. But many times there are people who say the opposite things and it's really difficult to say who's right, who's wrong. Now, you know, not in the social psychology, we know who's right, who's wrong, because whatever we know now in the future may be completely different. But using experiments, statistics, and a repetition of experiments help us at least to have um, some proof of the hypothesis, you know, maybe not the, the definitive one, maybe one day we'll have better theories that we contradict what we know right now. But, you know, having some empirical proof or um, evidence to support your hypothesis, I think is very, is very cool. So you mentioned that shift from psychology to marketing, um, and that probably connects back to your initial interest in advertising, I'm guessing, but how did you, what led you to say, you know what, marketing is where I'd like to, to spend my time and energy? So I would say what I really like the, both, uh, the most is the intersection between psychology and marketing. You know, like there is a big intersection, between, and that's where I'm really passionate about. It's, um, it's something that I love. Uh, because I could still use psychology that I'm, I love conceptually speaking. And at the same time, I really like marketing as well. I'm somehow passionate about objects, goods, uh, and also the implication of that, you know, like, oh, if you do that, maybe people will buy less or more something. So you can really see um, things like that. And uh, um, I would say a big change in my life was exactly during the dissertation that I was, uh, my PhD dissertation. So because of my background in advertising, I also had friends in advertising. And uh, I think my very first year of the PhD program, uh, now the PhD program in Italy is three years, uh, usually in the US is five, six years, but in Italy is three years and you have to have a master. So it's, it's shorter. But in the first three years, um, I first well, first year when I had to decide my dissertation, I had um, a friend of mine from uh, advertising. He had he owns or owned at the time an um, um, advertising agency, and he told me, "Hey, Luca, we would like you to uh, hire for some for a consultancy here, and uh, we have a problem with one of our clients in the sense that he's selling sailboats and." Uh, and there are two kind of sailboats, one that uh, is very good value for money and one that is less good value for money. However, the second one sells much more than the first one. And there is no logical explanation for that. And so can you help with that? And so that really sort of triggered my interest of psychology and marketing, right? Sometimes people take decisions about product without um, that are not completely rational and uh, how to explore that is uh, this beautiful marriage between psychology and marketing, right? So uh, understanding more about how the human mind works and at the same time um, see real implication in the market. Say, hey, you know, like this guy has a, has a, um, has a sailboat company and he really, I would like to help him in his business, right? So um I love the idea to merge the two things together. And that really triggered in me the ideal to try to put the two things together. And fortunately enough, uh, especially in the US, when I arrived, uh, it was accepted. You know, I think for sure I was the first person in the marketing area at Darden with a PhD in uh, psychology. Uh, so it was a 
was not that common, at least at Darden, but for sure was uh, starting to be common to have this um, merging of the two things, you know, so it was not completely out of reality, but for sure here, at least at, at Darden, I was the first one and I'm, I'm glad they, you know, uh, they took the risk. <laughs> Well, you mentioned uh, you've been at Darden for seven years. Uh, you've been a faculty marshal. You've been recognized for all kinds of awards and teaching excellence. Uh, what led you to Darden in, in the first place? How did you say this is where you wanted to be? <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I have to measure my words here. No, I, I, I you know, a, f- a few things, a few things. Um, First of all, the the group of people. I was really impressed by um, the friendliness and the um, uh, and the how and the unity in the group. In the sense that I met the the marketing uh, group in my first during the job interview, and I felt that they were really smart, but also uh, nice and. I wanted to be an environment where I could get along with people and not in a culture where, you know, some, there is this sentence in Latin called mors tua vita mea, that means if you die, I survive. And that the culture that is common in many other schools uh, where basically, you know, you hire a lot of assistant professors and then only one will get uh, up to tenure and, and they're in competitions. But, you know, you have always to look your back because, Everyone is hoping you to fail. Well, at Darden, despite being you know top school and very very competitive, the environment was to support you and to su- they would hire all the system professor hired are were hired with the idea that they could get tenure. You know, uh, if they you know um, not that is automatic, of course, the tenure process, but it's not necessarily an exclusion. Like oh, we we pit you one against the, each other, you know, like, it's like, um, it was a different situation. I really liked the environment, the culture. I really loved the, um, uh, the possibility to teach MBAs, um, and the case method, because, um, I taught undergrads in, in Michigan. It was a great experience. I loved it. But then I was thinking project myself to project myself like 20 years along the line, you know, and sometimes when you teach undergrads, it's not through all the cases, but many times you go in class, you have this set of slides and you update the slides maybe year after year. But I was thinking this is going to be boring in 10, 20 years. Instead with the case method, you go in class and uh, you, Every time, even if it could be the same case, the discussion is different. The group dynamic is different. There are different people. You get in to know more the people in the classroom. And I thought this was going to be fun, more challenging by far, but more fun. And uh, also dealing with people that are a little bit older, with more work experience, was something enriching for me in the sense that I also did uh, um, consulting work, etc. But, you know, uh, there's so much I, I I learned also from my students and uh, and it was great to to be in an environment where I could do that. And um, and the third thing I sort of that relates maybe with the first point, I felt that I could be myself, you know, <clears throat> with all my quirks and um, weirdness instead of, um, you know, I would be accepted while I had the impression in some other schools, although they were very, very good schools, top schools, maybe uh, they were a little bit more stiff in uh, some of them, not all of them, just some of them in uh, in their culture or trying to put me in some specific uh, boxes. So I'm, I'm really, without saying anything bad about other schools, there were other schools that were absolutely stunning and amazing. I was actually sad to say no to them, uh, to be honest, because great people over there. I was just blown away by, by Dard and, and uh, most of everything. So I, I, I'm glad that I came here and was, I grew up a lot for sure in these seven years. And um, um, I'm sure, you know, uh, other schools were absolutely great. I would have grown there as well. Um, nothing bad to say about them, but I'm I'm very glad that I had this journey with Darden. 
One of the things I enjoy about hearing faculty answer that question is that it runs very much in parallel with how our students ultimately end up thinking through the process. Um, what brings them here? Community, uh, the ability to feel supported, who they are included um, in the community here. And then, of course, the, the learning experience, the, the case method. You know, Darden is a case method school. It is all about you know, discussion and interaction. Um, Luca, I've enjoyed in office hours conversations asking faculty how they prepare for class because I think that's interesting for students to hear the other side, right? It's not like you just walk in and wing it, right? So what, what, does, what does your preparation for a case uh, discussion look like? You know, it's really, it really depends from the class. <clears throat> I would say the first year that were the most formative, I taught the marketing core. And when you teach a core class, you get together with, uh, so imagine at Darden, we have five sections, section A, B, C, D, E. And in marketing, at least each one of us teach one sections. So for example, the first year I was in section A, and then the last year I taught the core, I was in section D. And uh, we all come together, we all know the case, and we try to understand, okay, how can we teach this case in the way that we want to try to convey what we want to convey in the best possible learning, creating the best possible learning experience. And also we try to um, somehow forecast what kind of possible direction the students are going to take. And uh, um, the leader of the uh, teaching group, uh, Tom Steinberg, was really... Um, um, fundamental for me in terms of uh, the way I learned to teach at Darden because he taught me a lot, you know, like how to think about how to react to certain questions or to certain statements from some students, how to uh, to think about the case, right? So sometimes cases are really fun and interesting, but they don't bring any discussion. Instead, sometimes the case, when you read it, you say, ah, boring. But in reality, the discussion could be super rich. And so how there is a very, it's sort of a magic thing in the sense there are a lot of things going on that you have to, to prepare. The first one is what you want to teach. What are the main things that you want to learn? And when I arrived at Darden, I wanted to say, oh my God, I, tomorrow I go to class, I want to teach like, boom, a million things. And what Tom told me at the beginning and then took a few years for me to learn to that he was right is that at the end of the day, you cannot go in a class and even with, you know, even we go with slides, sometimes you show a million concepts, right? But they're not going to stick in the mind of the uh, students or people for long. You know, in two weeks, people mostly forget what's happening. Same thing with the cases. If you try to teach too much, they're, gonna, they're not going to stick. The, the the main learning point is not going to stick in the mind of the, uh, the the students. And so the main idea is, okay, what is the very main point I try to convey only one or maybe two top that are trying to convey in this class? And what is the best way to convey this point in order that the people think about this thing? And so the knowledge and the lesson in this class is going to be uh, present in their mind for much longer. It's gonna, it's going to be more sticky in their in their memory, right? And uh, uh, so this is one like what we call pastures. That is a weird term, but basically how to create moments where okay, we did a lot of calculations, a lot of consideration. Now, so what? What are we going to do with these things? And so. That's uh, um, that's something that you really have to plan, you know, what is that you want to teach in this case. Second thing is how to create an arch between different cases. So every case wants to teach something, but they want you want them to be joined together. They want to be unified, creating an arch of learning. Uh, so one case should a little bit build on, on, on the previous one, right? And the third thing that I prepare is trying to understand okay, where, where are the students, where is possible this discussion can be, can get, in, can get lost or uh, can get really into uh, rabbit holes or what are the objections that um, I may expect my students to make about this case or, and ideally you want, 
You don't want to arrive to in class and say, okay, tell me what is your case resolution. Wrong, 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 wrong. Let me show what is right, right? So the idea is to create, have questions so that you guide students through um, a discussion. <clears throat> and the goal is not necessarily at the end of the case, everyone agrees on their resolution, but the goal is that Everyone agrees that what we discussed together was one possible good resolution. There may be others, but that was one of one good resolution. So thinking about what are the right questions to let the class go in a specific uh, direction. That's that's that takes some time and experience. And thinking about you know for each question, how much are we going to discuss there? Five minutes. Or 45 minutes at the beginning, you know, first year, I have no idea, right? Uh, but then with the experience, you start thinking, okay, I think we can spend here 10, five minutes, 10, five to 10 minutes, another, maybe another point. Just, you know, we need to spend 20 minutes, et cetera, et cetera. This is a little bit more of an existential question, but <laughs> did you always, did you know that you wanted to be a, some, a teacher, somebody who was teaching in a classroom? Was that absolutely? Was absolutely. Absolutely not. Sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you. No. Um, so um, obviously, you know, you've been uh, you've received teaching awards and you're distinguished in, in the work that you do. So how do you go from I have no idea that I wanted to do this to being really recognized as someone who excels in this discipline? Like, so what sparked for you about teaching? Yeah, that's um, a good question. I, I always, always lost. I always no idea what I was doing, honestly, you know, like I, I'm, I didn't have, my parents were supportive, but they have no idea what was a PhD or, you know, again, I'm first year, first generation college student. So, and I don't, I didn't have necessarily friends who went through my path that could teach me what was going on. <clears throat> so I went to college and the way I reached the PhD was almost by incident you know because i met this person sarah and she really pushed me to uh she believed in me and she said you could be a good in research so i said okay let's try it worst case scenario we'll do something else um and then uh, and then i was curious to do well actually let me put it i was anxious to do well in what i was doing once i do something i want to do it well right so and because, and so that's why from Verona, where I started my PhD, then I went to University of Michigan because this mix of psychology and marketing, as I mentioned before, was not something that was done in, in Verona. And then um, when I was in Michigan, then I spent five years in Michigan and said, well, you know, <laughs> now I really feel that I, my preparation is good. And after, you know, by that time I was like 35. So, so well, you know what, <laughs> or 34 or 33, I don't remember. But at this at this point in my life, I want to, you know, probably the next step is to be a teacher. And then, um, um, so, uh, but I was always taking, you know, I also loved always consultancy. So I always thinking, oh, maybe we're going to consultancy or industry, but um but maybe the way for me what gets uh, for me what what is important is that i've been a student for many years and so i remember especially in college when i was going in class and there were professors that were coming in class and super boring like oh, blah 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 and for me it was like well if he or she or they are not passionate about what they're teaching why should i Right. So my main goal as a teacher is no matter what I think about a specific case, I will come to class and I will give 110 percent. And I want to show that I'm enthusiastic about the case, no matter what, if I'm not, I could teach some cases where I'm not enthusiastic about. But it's very difficult that people can see through that in the sense that my mission is I want to convey passion and enthusiasm about marketing. Because that's my main mission, you know. You you go to class to learn, but you want to learn from people who are passionate and enthusiastic. I'm not saying that this is true for everyone, you know, but that's a truth for me. You know, like I tend to learn from people who 
show enthusiasm about something. So my mission, I say, if I if I want to be a teacher, well, no matter what, I'm going to that class and show a lot of enthusiasm enthusiasm about that. And second, I I was also able to connect as a student with faculty that believed in me or they were like friendly, accessible and uh, humans, you know, and vulnerable. And um, so I tried to do the same in class, uh, being with all my quirks, you know, sometimes making fun of myself, uh, but being vulnerable, being a human and, and trying to connect with the students. And if I see that someone struggles or someone excels, excels, you know, going there and recognizing that they're doing well or if they're not doing well, trying to understand what's the problem, you know, and trying to listen. I'm very curious about the dynamics, you know, what I'm, what is going well, what is not going well, you know? And so I think that's why uh, I'm so lucky that uh, um, um, I love teaching. And uh, fortunately I am, have good results when I'm teaching. I I think because of these two things, you know, a lot of enthusiasm, passion, you know, I could be sick. I went to class many times sick, uh, like not feeling well, but no matter what, take 20, 20 coffees and I will show enthusiasm, you know, and, and also trying to connect with students. We are all um, people and uh, um, sometimes people are in different stages of their life and, um, it's good to make sure that, you know, I cannot be a personal, I'm not a therapist. I cannot be a personal trainer, you know, school trainer for everyone. But if I see that I can connect with someone, I can help in any way, I'm happy to do it. And so I feel like I have some empathy in class. You know, when I see, for example, people are super bored, I change subject, you know, like I try to, to go with what I, I sort of, of an instinct of what's going on in class. I, I hope I do at least uh, try to understand, okay, this topic is a little bit boring. Let's, let's switch to something, you know, and I was lucky that I learned a lot from um, people that are excelling doing this. Like one is Tom Steinberg that already mentioned. Another one was uh, another, um, a colleague of mine that is not at Darden anymore. She is in Europe, uh, Laline Anik. She was an inspiration for me. She was incredibly able to connect with students and she has so much love. Uh, and um, and I learned a lot from her. So I was lucky that I had also great um, examples that I was, that I tried to emulate in uh, in my in my life. I appreciate your, your sharing that. I, I... I always just find it interesting to hear people's origin stories, where they're coming from, how they ended up here. And um, I think it's really powerful, uh, Luca, for everybody to hear, like, I didn't have a vision, I didn't have a plan for this particular thing. I just, um, you know, I got interested in this, somebody recommended that, and, you know, I discovered, hey, I'm, I like this, I, I enjoy this. Um, so you teach a second year elective on consumer behavior. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about this course, but before I, I get to that uh, question, I, I do just want to mention to the folks who are here listening to this conversation, if you have questions, please feel free to ask via the Q&A. Uh, I've got some questions, we'll keep rolling through them, but also want to know if you also have questions for Luca. But Luca, tell us a little bit more uh, about um, consumer behavior. What's this class all about? Yeah, it's a class that uh, this year I'm not teaching specifically because I'm teaching executive MBA right now, but I taught for six years um, and um, was my baby. You know, like I created that that elective and I loved that to, to death. Um, and uh, um, it was a big experiment on my end because it was the first time was taught at least in that format at Darden. And it's a class that can go both ways, you know. Um, for example, sometimes if I look at schools like Harvard, for example, sometimes it's taught there with success, but then sometimes doesn't go well at all, and so they don't teach it anymore. Um, attack, for example, as far as I know, there is not that class, you know. like So it's a class that is could go well or could be, especially in the master program, in the undergrads program usually is it goes fine but for the must for the MBAs it's it's not a standard class and what I try to do is basically um for me was uh to understand 
first of all, what I can do that is not provided in a Darden at the moment. So I don't want to do something just because I want to do it. I try to understand what, what are the things that I think are missing in the um, in the learning environment. You know, if I am a marketer, I should also be a damn marketer when I think about my class, right? So what, what is the target here? The target is my students. What do I think uh, I can add value to their education while they are at Darden? And so basically I created this elective that was split in two modules. One is basically was marketing research. And uh, um, students here at Darden, they do some sort of marketing research, but it's very quantitative. And instead I wanted to teach them all the other techniques that are very often used in marketing, but uh, they're, and they may need to use in their internship or the future, but they need to be uh, educated, not educated, but, you know, they get familiar with and like more qualitative techniques, experimental techniques. And what I always told to my students is that what I'm trying to provide is a tool set. So I'm not saying, oh, from now on, you're an expert of on experimental design or on focus group, because then you need a, a full course or maybe more than one about it. What I want to do is that as a future manager, you need to understand that there are different problems that you face and uh, every problem requires a different uh, marketing technique. Like I think about marketing research techniques as tools, you know, it's not that every you can use the hammer for every problem you have in your house. Sometimes you have to use a screwdriver. Sometimes you have to use a drill, et cetera, et cetera, right? So as a manager, one has to understand, hey, what is the best research technique I can use given the problem that I have right now? And then you pay someone to do the, the marketing research. But you need, because if you just go to a consultant and say, yeah, this is the problem, do whatever you think is right, then, you know, usually they try to sell whatever they they do. If they do experiment, they will do an experiment. If they do focus group, they say, oh, focus group is the best. If they do neuroscience, they say, let's do neuroscience. But actually that power shouldn't be in the consulting company, but should be in the manager company. Say, oh, given this problem, I know that here is best to do an experiment. And this other problem here is best to do a focus group. This other problem, neuro, neuro, neuroscience. So I will contact specifically specific companies to solve these problems, but I I don't want to be in the in the weeds, you know, of the problem or how they do it. But I want to be the decision maker, which is the right tool for the right problem. So that's the first module, and the second module is mostly consumer uh, psychology, and uh, um, and it's basically how to apply psychology into marketing, and um, and I had to to design this this. Uh, course from scratch and that was a great experience and again i relied on two people i already mentioned was one tom steinberg and even and and, and laline um anik that both of them are are great friends and laline and i were also hired together and we became some sort of brother and sister and also she was designing her um elective and, you know, we're discussing nights and evenings and days together. What are you going to do? How you're planning to do this? Like, um, so it was great to go through the process with um, a person that be became a big part of my life. And, uh, uh, and she was going through the same process. So, you know, like exchanging ideas, etc. So the first time... I created this class and I thought, oh my God, this is going to be a disaster. Like maybe not like that. Maybe I thought, oh, I, I don't know if people will actually think this is interesting. That's my question. And when I had students coming to me at the end of the first time I taught my elective and say, oh my God, Luca, this is so useful. Thank you so much. Or people coming back from their internship and say, oh my God, I used your principle in my internship so much. That filled my heart with joy. And so it was the last iteration of consumer behavior. I took two sections and still I had a waiting list of like 40, 50 people on top of the two sections. So uh, I was very happy to see that it's not only something that I love to teach, like it's, re it's really something that I'm, 
I wake up in the morning and I'm looking forward to teach, but it's also something that the students think, oh, that's cool. That's useful, you know? And so, and because, you know, it's great, as I mentioned before, to coordinate with other faculty, like we do in the core, but there's also an aspect of being able to go in class and then do your own thing. Um, and so, uh, I always have a special relationship with the, the students in my consumer behavior class because um, it's like sort of a experience that we go through together and uh, I get to know them. And they also at the end create their own project where they use techniques that they use that I taught in class. So they have actually to use in practice to solve um consume a problem in consumer psychology that they think is interesting and so reading about their work also is very fun entertaining and um always put a puts a smile on my face and i'm so proud of them so yeah it's a lot of fun well luca i appreciate your mentioning uh the project the experiential aspect of of that course because i think one of the questions we've gotten in the q a is about well i'm hearing a lot about case studies what other ways do students learn at darden and i think in particular in the second year we start hearing a lot about experiential learning and this kind of hands-on maybe project uh based coursework that students are doing i'm also thinking about like darden worldwide courses did you go on, on a trip to italy i think oh yeah oh yes tell us about that <laughs> Uh, so yes, 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 yes. So, uh, first of all, yeah, especially in consumer behavior, because it was new, there were not many cases about it. And so again, thanks to the guidance also of the other people in the marketing department and, um, and Tom Steinberg, I, I tried to think, okay, what can I do when I don't teach a case? So I created many exercises and I wrote some of my own cases, right? So right now it's mostly case dependent, but my first iteration, I think was like 60% cases and 40% exercise. Now in the core, there are only cases, but in the electives, it's common to have uh, some faculty asking people to read books uh, and comment about that. Not my elective, but others. Uh, or in my case, having exercises, you know, like reading technical notes, <clears throat> like things that oh, you know, I would have a lecture on that. But instead of having a lecture, I give you the material you can read by yourself. And then when you're in class, when you're in class, we exercise on the material that you read. Because sometimes it's difficult to have a case on everything, right? Sometimes there's not a problem. There's just a theory. And uh, and so I let them read the theory and then see how we can apply the theory in practice. So that's another way I use a lot uh, in my uh, elective, like exercises, group projects, individual assignments like so that's a lot of fun and yes we do also have um we also have uh darden worldwide courses and i had a blast uh every time i do that the first i did it twice this is going to be my third year doing that the first two years i went with uh, the dean um of darden uh, scott beersley and um, Mark Johnson, and I, they were awesome. And uh, we had such a good time. And this year I'm going to be Tom Steinberg. So I'm also looking forward to that. But we do a lot of fun stuff. Uh, uh, we, for example, we go in, um, in Italy and uh, we go to see places like businesses in Italy. All the, my classes in Italy is all about export and luxury and the food industry so for example we go to some winery in the chianti region uh to see how they produce wine how they think about selling their wine and export their wine in the u.s market we went to see um some uh sort of uh, timeshare that was owned by one of the darden uh, alumni at um at uh, uh, in Florence, then we went to see Gucci in Florence, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Then one year we went to near Bologna, and one year we went to see Ferrari. And one of the Darden alumni was the CFO uh, of one of the Ferrari's sponsors. So we had a, an incredible experience chatting with the main, the chief designer of Ferrari, and. Um, and then many other times we saw other great companies like Pagani, uh, Ducati, 
and so it, it's 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 a lot of fun you really get to know the students um there is some learning experience you know like talking with uh, uh say the chief designer of ferrari or the um you know the the owner of a big winery or the owner of uh you know, um, the Marzocco, that was another uh, place where we went, that is a coffee maker uh, business. Um, and so learning about their businesses and why Italy, why there is so much concentration of <laughs> food industry, luxury business, why in Italy, you know, what is the interesting part about the culture, what works well, what, what doesn't work well, is very enriching because, of course, we want to give students a global perspective, and so, yes, we can teach all we want about global marketing or global business, but going there and see firsthand businesses in person on an, in another country is a great experience. Not only that, drinking a few glasses of wine, if you're into wine, uh, and, you know, uh, going and uh, um, seeing beautiful cars, motorbikes, clothing, isn't bad you know <laughs> so there is this also a fun aspect to it that is a, not the primary aspect but doesn't hurt to go there have fun uh in a very friendly environment you know like um the dean for example always had a gelato competition where to find what what is the best gelato in all the cities we were going through and you know like something like that that is adding some fun to the learning experience and you're basically a group of 30, 35 students plus faculty is a 40 people group and um, it's a lot of fun and you get to know each other. And uh, so it's, it's a lot of fun. I really love that. Well, Luca, I want to transition slightly to talk about one of your recent articles. Um, you helped us out with the military open house that we hosted up in Roslyn. And uh, you were coming off giving a, a talk at, a, at another university about uh, the article that you had published about artificial intelligence and, and marketing. And there's a couple of Darden Ideas to Action articles in which you talk about this idea of word of machine. And um, I think we're all used to word of mouth. Uh, word of machine is a little bit different. What What is word of machine? Well, that's an interesting article. Actually, um, well, tautological. I, I wrote it, so I hope I found that interesting. But in any case, um, um, but actually that article also won an award as best research in practice by the American Marketing Association. So I was very glad that was um, recognized by the field um, as a research that has a big impact. Uh, but basically, the idea started actually from a student of mine at Darden. He was working at, uh, not working, he went for an internship at uh, Walmart. And he came back and said, hey, you know, look, I was interesting. I was working on the website, the um, E aspect of Walmart. And um, basically there, you know, when you go to Walmart and you buy something, usually the algorithm says, oh, if you buy this, I would also recommend these other products. And so, and so he said that for some categories of products, people were following the algorithm. For some other categories of products, people were not following the algorithm's suggestion. And so, but they didn't figure out which and why. And so me and a, um, a very good friend and um, great uh, researcher, Chiara Longoni, worked together on this project where basically um, we thought about, okay, so what when people prefer to follow recommendation by an AI and when people try to actually prefer recommendation from a human. And then what we hypothesize is that uh, there is a sort of a bias for which um, we see AI very uh, being very good in objective tasks. And so maybe they are very good. We think they are very good in assessing utilitarian items. And we think about humans and very, very good in terms of emotion, senses, and um, more like hedonic, sensorial uh, products. Now, there is a note here because it's not necessarily true. This is more like a bias in the sense that, yes, machines, AI can be good in assessing objective things, but so humans are many times. It's not that necessarily human uh, machines are better in assessing utilitarian 
uh, characteristic than humans. And now uh, AI is also able to create um, um, recipes, like for example, um, uh, at McCormick, the, the spice uh, industry, they use AI to create new spice combinations. AI creates poetry. AI <coughs> creates painting that are now sold for thousands of dollars. So it's not also true that AI is unable to create something more hedonic or experiential. However, our main idea is that given this bias, people may prefer um, recommendation from AI when the item is utilitarian and recommendation from human when the item is, um, or the object is uh, hedonic. Let me give you an example. So the first thing that we did was actually super fun. Two, two studies that are very fun. The first one was in my hometown in the mountains. So we will actually have the Olympics in the, I don't know, Winter Olympics together with Milan in 2026, 28, something like that. And we ran the study when this thing was announced. So I went to a bar and basically I placed like two um, flyers and then a description over the flyer saying, hey, you know, one day was the description was very utilitarian and basically was, hey, you know, uh, with the Olympics coming to town, uh, it's very important to invest right now in real estate because you want to have uh, a place that is um, very well um, positioned in terms of future sales. Uh uh, possibility, um, um, a place that is situated in an optimal area of the town in case you want to see the Olympics, but don't spend too much time in traffic. You know, this description, very objective, et cetera, et cetera. And then I was saying, you can pick one of these two flyers. One with a selection of real estate properties made by a human in the real estate agency and I used the real estate agency that was very popular in my town or one that was a selection of real uh, estate property made by an algorithm and so what we noticed is that people and we have to pick only one flyer so to the people to the patrons of the the bar and so we noticed that people were picking when the description was very utilitarian, so you know in, uh, you want to pick something that is good for your future investment, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, people prefer to pick. On, on average, people picked more the flyer with the selection made by an the selection of properties made by an AI. However, when we selected, when we say something like, "Oh, um, you know uh, the limp." <laughs> The day after, we'd repeat the same experiment, but the description was slightly different. We said the Olympics are coming to town. You want maybe to think about investment and you want something to find a place with a great vista, with uh, you know a place that you can enjoy the, the, the energy that the Olympics will create, blah, blah, blah. So much more uh, sensorial, much more hedonic. And in that case, people pick the, the flyer with the selection made by the person compared to the selection made by an AI. Now, I know that we are running out of time, but two things that I think are particularly interesting. One is, one could say, uh, but of course, uh, AI don't cannot taste or, or see. So clearly, people use um, a human in that case. Well, we also ran experiments where it's not that the AI or human were necessarily tasting or watching, but we're basically saying, oh, you have a lot of reviews, for example, and the AI or a human is speaking, is based, is creating something out of this review or this information. But it's not that they necessarily have to taste something, you know? And so that we had a study. Um, so basically where we said, we have students coming at um, at school and we gave chocolate to them. And the chocolate was the same. But to one group of students, to basically, but with the to one group of students, we say this chocolate was made by by us following the recipe of an AI chocolatier. And to the other group of students, we said this chocolate was made by us following the recipe of a human chocolatier. And then we ask <clears throat> students how much they thought, how much was the taste? So 
uh, more hedonic characteristic, more sensorial characteristic, and how much they thought the chocolate was healthy. That is more utilitarian, objective characteristic. And again, the chocolate was the same. But when people thought the chocolate was made following the recipe of AI, they thought that the chocolate was less tasty and more healthy. And when they thought they were eating the chocolate made based on a recipe uh, um, created by a human, they thought that the chocolate was uh, more tasty, tastier, but less healthy. So... You know, there are a lot of implication in that. And um, and, we, and we had a lot of fun making these experiments. So, Luca, we've got a, got a few questions here. Uh, do you have time for maybe two or three uh, of questions? Course. Of okay. course. All right. Um, one of the questions is really interesting to me. I'm, I'm curious to see where you go, go with it. Um, you know, marketing. We think of it as like... I mean, gosh, there's so much information about consumers now. Um, obviously, all these digital technologies have created so much possibility, I think, from a marketing standpoint. So as you look at marketing today here, 2022, what's the same as it's always been? And what's maybe a bit different? Is it is it possible to sort of think through this in, in a certain way? Totally. It's a very good question. I think... Some principles are still working the same. Like we're still humans. We're still mostly irrational, or at least big part of our decision is irrational. And we're still feeling the impacts of brands. And uh, and marketing still faces some issues related to um, um, chain organization, the, uh, the structure of their chain and their channels. Um, so... There are problems and strategies, like the strategy of thinking about marketing is the same. Marketing is, is all about creating values and how you create value by basically understanding the consumer very well and trying to understand what the consumer desire but is not yet able to articulate and uh, and then providing a solution or a service or a um, <clears throat> product that can... Um, fulfill that need, that desire. That stays the same. So many principles, it's not that the digital revolution has changed the way people behave or think. We are still humans, you know, and so some principle of market is still there. That being said, of course, on a more tactical level, a lot of things have changed. Uh, meaning how do you convey advertising, how you obtain data, how you think about issues like privacy, um, customization, death revolutionized and completely different of what was five years, 10 years, 15 years ago. And so thinking about influencer, TikTok, you name it, those things are very different than five years ago and will be very different in five years. So death, death is a very important aspect to, to think about and the digitalization of marketing is true. But I don't want us, but I want to say this is very true and it's mostly tactical. But in terms of strategy, I think some principles that were true five years ago, 10 years ago are still, not all of them, but many of them are applicable. And we, we are so... Of course, I love the digital space. I work on AI, so, you know. But uh, at the same time, we have to forget that many people, actually the majority, by, uh, depends from the, uh, of course, from the category of products, but many people go still in the store to buy stuff, right? So it's not that everything is sold digitally and that's it. So um, we have to consider the digital channels, especially because the new generation are going to be much more digital dependent than the older generations, but the prin some principles are still the same. All right, a couple of questions uh, here for you as, as we wrap up. Um, we always like to ask faculty, you have such a great perspective on, on the student experience and um, you teach uh, students and you obviously love to support them as they go through the um, go through their, their learning process here at Darden. Um, what advice would you share with folks about, you know, all right, so you start an MBA program, you know, what does it take to, to be successful? Or what would you encourage a student uh, to do as, as they start down this path? Ooh, I would say um, to be open to learn. That sounds cheesy, but the main idea is that 
what I see sometimes that students come here and usually are excellent students and they're usually perceived to be the best in their class. And they come here and they say, shoot, the other 70 students in my class are also the best in the class. <clears throat> and that's sometimes could be very demoralizing uh, or thinking, okay, I'm, I know how to do finance very well. I will do finance and then, but then I see things like marketing or uh, leadership. I have no idea how to do it. And it feels very uncomfortable. But the main idea is that people take an MBA or an executive MBA, not because they want to learn what they already know, but because want, they want to be learn things that are different. They want to go outside the comfort zone and they will be surrounded by people that are very smart. That could be in the future, their colleagues, their peers, or they can learn from them in class. And so that's a realization that usually happens a little bit later. But the main idea to come to, to Dart and say, hey, I know that I will struggle in some topics. It's fine. Everyone does it. I know that there are people in my class that are very smart and maybe I will not be the smarter in the class. That's fine. That's how life is. There is always a person smarter than you. But instead of seeing that a competition, I will see that how can I pick their mind about something? How I can be as good as them in, in that specific subject, right? Instead of saying, oh, I'm jealous, screw them, I have to be better. It's like, how can I learn from these people? Why they are so good, say, in this topic or in this subject? How can I learn from them? How can I pick their mind about that? So that's the right attitude, I think, uh, to come at Arden. I love that point, uh, remembering that you came here to learn in the first place. Oftentimes, I'll run into a student who is taking a class and it's just not clicking. And they're like, I, I, don't, I, I don't know any of these things that we're learning about. And you always try to remind them, well, that's why you're here. That's why yeah. you decided to do the program. Um, last question, Luca. Um, may, there may be some folks on, on this call who got interested in some of the things we talked about here today or just interested in learning more about marketing. Uh, do you have any books that you'd recommend? We always ask for maybe three books um, as a next step or just something that you would recommend somebody pick up to learn a bit more? Um, that's an interesting question. I would say, well, you know, depends. We talk about so many things that it's difficult to, uh, to give a book recommendation, but I would say some classics, like there is a book written by Robert Cialdini about the power of persuasion. And that's a classic. This is basically he became even a, a salesman uh, to learn the principles of what salesmen do or women do, uh, and then uh, to try to understand from a psychology point of view what are the principles of that. So um, every book by Cialdini on persuasion is it's it's amazing to start this idea of psychology and um and marketing and um that's for sure a, a, a basic book but really fun book um and then and then there are other books that could be also be interesting um like think fast think slow by um kahneman that's also a very interesting book or um many books by dan Ariely. Um, they're also very interesting, especially um, the one that speaks, that talk about our more irrational side. Um, so these are, you know, authors that summarize a lot of principle by other authors, and um, they're pretty interesting to read. Well, Luca, I, I want to thank you for your time. I will say that uh, Daniel Kahneman book, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, is uh, it's a pretty pretty uh, common recommendation here on Office Hours. It's one that clearly I think a lot of the faculty have, have read and paid attention to, and it would certainly encourage our, our prospective students to check it out, too. It's yeah. a fantastic, fantastic book. Um, it's because we, especially if you come from an accounting, or, well, I don't want to give a prescription, but sometimes when I'm from a very numerical side sometimes it's difficult to see hey people can be very rational in their decisions so it's a book that say hey uh, we need automatic thinking to survive and um, otherwise we think forever about any decision in our lives so it's a great book 
Well, Luca, thank you for being here and for sharing uh, your time and your experience. I know how so many. I know you have. I know you have so many things going on, and this is uh, hosting office hours, being able to share uh, these conversations with our prospective students to get give them an opportunity to hear uh, the passion of the faculty for what they teach, uh, what they're what they research, um, and just to give them a sense of the people they might be able to connect with in a classroom here at Darden is tremendous. So, thank you so much for for joining us. Thank you so much, Brett. Thank you for doing this. We're really grateful that you're doing this. Uh, thank you for having me. And if anyone has any question, they can reach out to me. My email is very easy. It's Luca, my name, L-U-C-A at virginia.edu. Uh, so if you have any questions, I'm here. But Brett, thank you again for having this. And that was a recording of our Office Hours conversation with Professor Luca Chan, member of the marketing faculty here at the Darden School of Business. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we're all ears. We can be reached at Darden, that's D-A-R-D-E-N, at virginia.edu. Until next time, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.